turn your chairs this way if that's helpful. Oh my gosh, should I do that again? <laughs> Done that before. <laughs> um, on a really personal note, before I start preaching, I just want to say how good it is to be um, in this room with you guys. Um, as some of you know, I've been on a, a book tour and um, I've been in many, many places in airplanes and hotel rooms and met many people, but my heart is 100% here. And uh, people keep saying, are you tired? Are you tired? And I'm just actually really energized by being at church tonight. So um, it's good to be home. Grace, peace, and mercy is yours from the triune God. Amen. Just for the record, I really did try this week while on countless airplanes and hotel rooms to steal 20 minutes here and there and write a proper sermon. I tried and I failed. I don't want to totally blame it on the lectionary, but seriously, that is about the worst parable in the Bible. Uh, and in all fairness, preachers throughout history have gone to great lengths to avoid writing sermons on this particular parable, so I'm in good company. So try as I might, I've got nothing on the readings. And for most of the past week, I blame this on the parable, but really, I, I can't know what to preach to you if I've not been among you. And being home one day in ten doesn't count. So forgive me for ignoring our texts, but what I have to offer you instead are the, is the following field notes of grace from 10 days on the road. Number one, Chicago. Someone in the book signing line suggested that he hopes this book is as popular as The Shack, and I looked at him like he just insulted me. <laughs> Number two, Minneapolis. Two hours before the book event, I get, pan I get a panicked tweet in all caps from a busload of teenagers driving in from Iowa. It said this, we couldn't leave till after school, we're 15 minutes late, don't start on time, we don't want to miss a word. My first thought was, man, these kids must be true house for all sinners and saints people, we've never started on time. <laughs> Many of them had seen me speak in New Orleans the year before, and in the book signing line, the mother of the girl I was tweeting back and forth with leans over and says to me, you have no idea what your talk in New Orleans did for my kids' faith. She spoke about you and your church in a faith statement where she also came out to the congregation. And I turn around, and I catch this kid's eye, and I stand up and give her a big hug, and I say thank you to her. And that hug felt like it wasn't from me. It felt like it was actually from you. It was from this church I love, who has given that embrace to so many beautiful children of God, as though you are saying to those who come our way, yes, you too. This grace that overflows the heavens, this surprising love of God, this body and blood of Christ is for you too. And if you've ever been told otherwise, you were lied to. Number three, San Francisco. Oh, I was in Atlanta in between. I couldn't remember anything about it. So. Number three is San Francisco. I walk into the last 10 minutes of Reverend Paul Fromberg's adult education class on Sunday at St. Gregory of Nyssa Episcopal Church in time for him to say this. He wants to think about and dwell in what is actually real, rather than mostly thinking about and dwelling in what he is afraid of. Number four, Seattle. 
I had a really emotional conversation earlier in the day and started the evening already exhausted. For some reason, the nice volunteer lady from the cathedral suggested to everyone in the book signing line that they not only write their name on the sticky note, but they add whatever additional inscription they'd like me to write. <laughs> Making the line move 10 times slower and also forcing me to write things like, may you be carried on the wings of the spirit and other crap I period would period never period say period. <laughs> She was really very sweet, but I was completely over it and so ready to go back to the hotel and sleep, when instead of handing me another book to sign with a sentimental inscription, someone handed me their unbelievably chubby baby to hold. <laughs> they just took this magnificently chunky baby boy and thrust him in my arms and it felt Eucharistic. <laughs> like the gospel had torn me down and put me back together in that single action, I had no idea that's what I needed in the moment, but apparently God did. Like God said to someone, get that lady a chubby baby fast. <laughs> Number five, New Orleans. My publisher had gathered some authors, two memoirists and two novelists for dinner. We had a great time eating rich foods and swapping rich stories when I turned to the writer next to me, this guy named Paul, who had been very kind to me earlier in the day, and I asked, so Paul, what is it that you've written? And before he could answer, my publisher Wendy turns to me and says, it's a little book you may have heard of called The Shack. <laughs> story of my life. <laughs> and then, of course, I felt bad, not because he wrote one of the best-selling books of all time and I didn't know that was him, but that I've said snarky things about that book and I really liked him. <laughs> Number six, New Orleans, day two. I was exchanging emails with the housekeeping team, the leadership here at House, about our meeting later tonight. In a passing moment of exhaustion, I asked for their prayers and said I was kind of drowning. Vicar Moose emails me this, Pastor Nadia, you have already stepped out of the boat and you're seeing the strong wind. Trust that Jesus, who is already out on the water, will immediately reach out his hand and catch you. I'm honestly a tad freaked out and overwhelmed by my little book taking off like it has, and I feel a weird ambivalence about it. On the one hand, it feels great to know that whatever gospel message I'm putting out is being consumed by so many hungry people. But on the other hand, I like my life exactly like it is, and I like this church just like it is, and I'm afraid of what this all might mean, and I'm afraid that I don't know what this all might mean. So yesterday, I asked Paul Young, the shack guy. <laughs> if he'd be willing to share some advice about how to manage all the hands reaching at me and how to navigate this boat ride I'm on without falling off. And here is where things get uncomfortably gospel-y for me. This man looked at me straight in the eyes. Well, kind of up in the eyes. <laughs> and said, Nadia, you are just participating in something God is doing. God doesn't do things alone, and we can't do redemptive things without God. 
You are already good enough in God's eyes to be participating in this. God's grace is enough for today. It always is enough for one day. Do not fear. This man whose book I had said snarky things about said to me with nothing but love, do not live in fear of what is to come because God only exists in reality. And the only reality is right now. And God's grace is enough for this day, and it's all you have. Number seven, the New Orleans airport. 20 minutes after I hugged Paul goodbye at the airport yesterday and said, thank you for pastoring me, it's just what I was needing. I was grabbing a coffee when I heard a man's voice say, Nadia, I turned around expecting it to see, to see Paul and instead saw a taller, balder man in his 50s who was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's you. I just finished your book. This complete stranger said that he is an evangelical with a teenage daughter who just came out of the closet and that I have no idea how my words have helped him and he teared up and took a selfie with me. (laughs) (laughs) And immediately I didn't see it as an intrusion or weird and I didn't feel like it was like all these hands reaching at me. But I saw it as a grace from God who is stirring in people's hearts and lives in a way I blessedly get to participate in. As though God just needed some schmuck like me to write some words on paper, me not knowing what God would do with those words. Tonight after church, we're talking about how God seems to be stirring in the hearts and lives of those who come through the doors of this church Many more people than we ever dreamed of. You know, two years into this church plan, I thought, someday, maybe we'll have 70 people at liturgy. It's my goal. It's as though God just needs a group of schmucks to set up some chairs and prepare a table with bread and wine, not knowing what God is doing, going to do with those chairs and those loaves. I don't know why it is that as with the pastor, so with the church, But I started to wonder if all of this was somehow related and maybe even related to an issue in the parable of what it means to be entrusted with something that is God's, or as Paul Young puts it, participating in something that God is doing. But I do know this, that they're hungry people, maybe more than we knew. And as this community and its, and, and this community and its pastor are simply participating in something God's doing. And all I have to offer you as your preacher tonight are these field notes of grace and some wisdom from three different men who spoke truth to me this week. Number one, perhaps we should be present to what is real and not just what we are afraid of. Number two, there's enough grace for today, and that's what's real. And number three, we have stepped out of the boat and we're seeing a strong wind. Let's you and me trust Jesus, who is already out on the water with us, because he reaches out his hand to catch all who think they're drowning when really they're walking on water by the power of God's Spirit. Amen.